Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and today my guest is a superintendent from Pleasanton Unified School District out in California, a friend of mine named David Hagland, superintendent of that district. David, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. How are you today? Doing great. You know, thank you, Todd, for thinking of me. It's always good to engage in conversation with friends. I love it. Well, I, I am... I'm happy to say that you are uh, in in our one year of our podcast now, and we've probably done about 15 or 20 of these. You are my first superintendent from the my home state of California. So uh, thank you for that. I have a lot of questions, but how is it going out in California now as, as we are uh, slowly as a country moving into some form of normalcy? Yeah, it's a bit nuts. As you can imagine, you know, we've, we've, everybody's been rocked a bit this year, you know, from our parents, through our students, through our teachers, even through the leadership team here. Um, but as you say, we're, we've got students back at school. Um, as of Monday, all of our students will be on campus four days a week, um, with the exception of those people who have chosen to stay in remote learning. So there's lots of complexity in the model that we're running forward right now, but I, I don't think that's all that different than some of the others in California as well. I'm sure. And so I, I know a little bit about your, your area. I've, I grew up in California. Um, <clears throat> tell our listeners a little bit about Pleasanton. I, I, I would dare say that it's um, uh, of one of the nicer areas in the entire Bay Area. If, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with San Francisco, it's, it's over across the Bay in, in the, uh, you know, the Oakland side of, of the Bay Area. It's it's an incredibly nice area. There's a lot of wineries out that way. Tell me a little bit more about Pleasanton than, than I already than I already know. Sure. So Pleasanton is definitely a bed, bedroom community for Silicon Valley. Uh, many of the the families that we have um, parents work in some of the larger tech companies um, across the Bay. Um, we have about 14,500 students in pre, uh, pre-K through uh, adult education. Um, we're a very high-performing district um, and have been for a long time. Uh, number one uh, performing school district in Alameda County, and I think we're number 11 in the state of California. So um, the great teachers, uh, great families, um, great programs, um, but even in in in, in Communities like Pleasanton, you know, the, the COVID virus didn't spare us from um, a lot of the pain that everybody else has been feeling well. But it's a beautiful, beautiful community. Lots of green, uh, lots of foothills to go hiking in um, and a very active um, community. Well-educated and active community, I guess I would say it that way. I, I have a friend who's a superintendent who just left a district in New Jersey a few years back where he had... Um, a large Asian community, a majority Asian community. And his challenge was getting books um, to the parents during the summertime so that the kids could read them in advance of the fall. And then he's moved down South to an entirely different uh, type of district with different 
educational expectations. And it's always fascinating to me how different our country is from state to state, even from county to county within a state. I, I know that your background is that you were you were deputy secretary in Santa Ana. And, and I, I don't know that most people understand the differences that a superintendent such as yourself can experience with the different communities that are available to you in America with regards to education and expectations and the challenges that you have. Talk about those differences. So, yeah, prior to being here in Pleasanton, I was deputy superintendent in Santa Ana Unified School District, which is the sixth largest uh, school district in the state. Um, it's 98% um, English learner, 96% free and reduced lunch, um, which is the polar opposite of Pleasanton. Um, and so, you know, the, what, what's common in, in communities is that they love their kids. Um, yep. there's, there's really no difference uh, with that regard. So the parents in Santa Ana love their kids just as much as the parents in um, Pleasanton do. But the resourcing um, in the community is very, very different between the two. So um, talk about that for a second. I mean, um, I think a lot of people throw the word equity out. Uh, and, and I don't know that a, I don't know that a majority of people really have a, a in the weeds understanding of what the, what that really means. Talk about that from those, from the perspective of your, your two stints in those two different districts. Yeah. So from a couple of different perspectives, you know, so parents advocate for their, for their children. Um, in different ways. In Pleasanton, if parents are upset and they want to advocate for something, they'll likely show up with, um, because of the resources, many times they'll show up with an attorney. Um, in Santa Ana, wow. they, they would show up with their friends, you know, and, and that's how they would advocate, you know, because they're a big family um, community down there. And so, but the, the intensity of the advocacy is really no different. It's just the strategies that are deployed um, are different in, in the different communities. And so from an equity perspective, um, there's, there's a great deal of resources in the community of Pleasanton. Um, most of the families are doing just fine. We do have a free and reduced lunch population, but it's down at about 7%. Um, we have 16% of our students qualify for supplemental funds in the state's uh, funding mechanism. And so that's unique to California, the local control funding formula. Um, and that speaks to how funds are distributed to districts based on their student demographics. And so um, Pleasanton being a well-resourced community actually gets far less funds from the state um, than Santa Ana did. Having a large supplemental and concentration population, unduplicated count is what it is, the lingo in California, in Santa Ana, that district receives far greater funding for their students. And that was Governor Jerry Brown's attempt to try to really force the management of the equity issues in education across the state. And so um, Santa Ana would be considered a winner. Oakland would be considered a winner. And you know, districts like um, Pleasanton or San Ramon up here in the Bay Area or even Irvine down in Southern California would be considered El Cap. Um, losers, so to speak. They didn't get the same amount of funds. The K-12 industry, it it goes through all these phases where there's a, a buzzword every two or three years that really sticks. Um, and right now, I would say that learning loss is the leader in the clubhouse as far as educational buzzwords. Yeah, I, I think I, I think we all understand about the population in Santa Ana, which may not have had in this time uh, access to 
uh, high-speed internet access. Um, what does learning loss mean in Pleasanton for your students? And how are you able to gauge that? Are you assessing and, and making some determination as to what that has meant? Yeah, certainly we are making every attempt to understand what the impact of um, remote learning and isolation and whatnot has had on our, our community. I'm not a big fan of the concept of learning loss. I mean, what are we comparing it to? I mean, every kid um, in the state of California is on the same, I mean, we're moving at the same rate of speed in terms of, you know, instruction that's been delivered. And so I don't know that um, a good friend of yours and a good friend of mine, Rick Miller, used to always say kids are always learning. Um, it, the question is, what are they learning? And so the you know, the reality is, is that our kids have been learning a whole lot during the pandemic, but it may not be the same progression in terms of mathematics or language arts, but they have learned a heck of a lot. So our kids have learned tons about technology use skills. And as as you know, districts have struggled, not just in California, but across the United States, embedding the technology standards into the instructional programs because they would always compete with the, you know, the standards of proficiency related to mathematics or language arts or science or, or whatnot. Um, but in this particular case, everybody was forced to pay attention to them. And so in some ways, we've made huge gains with regards to the use of technology and the integration of technology into the instructional program. So um, certainly not learning loss in that regard, um, but maybe, maybe there, are, there is in mathematics and language arts, if we compare the trajectories that students made um, last year to this year. But if you compare our students to students in a different district or in a different state, I don't know that there's a big gap between the two. And so I think, I think we need to really be, be wise about how we approach that concept, um, especially in our community where the, the, the pressure is heavy for students to achieve at a very high level. I um, mean, they haven't had access to the things that they had access to in the past. And so, you know, we need to spend time here really paying attention to helping kids re-engage with school as schools reopen, um, because there have been consequences that don't have anything to do with math in terms of students' lives. You know, the social emotional learning, um, the, the mental health issues that have arisen because of the isolation that was caused by the pandemic. So there's a whole lot of other things that in my mind are we need to get a hold of those things before we worry too much about whether or not we're exactly where we need to be with math and mathematics scores. And that's just an example. I have a sappy dream that, that there's actually a group of students that have prospered during this time, that there are parents who've spent more time with their kid because they've had to be home yep. and, and looking over the shoulder and understanding and, and seeing in, in real time how quickly uh, their students are picking things up. Yep. I, I think there's a weird positive from all of this, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a dream. I, th I, I, could, I could introduce you to real people, both students and parents, who could tell you stories about the positives that have come out of the, the isolation. And in some ways in this community, which is a, like, like I said, it's a high performing and high, high speed, so to speak, community, it slowed everybody down and it brought, it, it returned focuses to families in a lot of ways. And, you know, they spent more time with each other. They did more talking with each other. They did more collaborating with the, with the work that students were trying to accomplish. Um, so from that perspective, I think there were many positives to it. Do we want to do it again? No. <laughs> I'm glad they reconnected. I want them to keep it up, but yep. we need to get kids back in, in school. 
and reconnected to their, um, you know, to, to the learning trajectories that they're on. I, I'm fascinated to know um, what your thoughts are on the federal funding that's coming down. It, it, it's that's the other conversation that's going on right now in K-12 is that there is a, a waterfall of federal money coming. What are you doing with that money? How much are you expecting? Uh, are you addressing things that maybe looked to be shortfalls for you during the last year? So yes and no, we're, we do not have a large title one contingent in our district. So the amount of federal funds we get compared to an Oakland, so to speak is minuscule. Um, And so we appreciate the additional federal dollars and they will be applied to continue to mitigate um, risk with regards to the, the, the pandemic, we've used it as a, uh, those funds, the federal funds, um, to ensure that all of our teachers and staff members have proper PPE. We've redone our, our HVAC systems in, in large measure. Um, we've been able to get some construction projects taken care of that included like cracking the painted windows so windows could be open. You know, So, I mean, there was just a ton of stuff that we were able to accomplish um, in, in short order, largely because the students weren't on campus. So we could bring in construction crews into a campus, didn't have to be on the weekends or at night. So we were able to move some things forward. And some of the federal funds helped with that. Same thing with the state funds. Um, we were able to allow teachers to get the technology that they needed um, to teach remotely. We had um, passed a bond in 2016. So those dollars started coming in in the 2017-18 timeframe. Um, and part of those dollars were geared towards um, improving the quality of the 21st century um, classroom in, in our schools, which were fairly old and not very well taken care of. Um, and so we had already been upgrading our network system and buying devices for teachers and students. And so um, in a really weird way, we were very well set up, not intentionally, um, uh, for that transition to remote learning. We literally closed school on Friday um, and then opened it up, opened back up in full remote learning, um, not the Monday after the weekend, but the next Monday. So we took one week to um, train teachers um, and uh, provide additional curriculum supports to teachers and to ensure that every student had a a Chromebook um, and wireless access at their home. So we we turned it over in a week Um, and the teachers did, they did incredible work um, to be able to do that. Um, And we were able to ensure that every kid had a device and and a working internet connection in in their home. What is your assumption as to students who are going to want to stay home going there forward? Gonna, yeah, there are going to be some. And we're, we're, you're, you have experience with me in Riverside. And so, you know, we, we had been talking and moving towards a virtual academy for a, a bit of time up here. But there just wasn't the demand. This, this put a, you know, kind of put the throttle down on that concept. And so we will walk out of the, uh, the uh, pandemic with a, a virtual learning academy, which, which is where those students and families will have an, an option. It's not my intention to continue doing this crazy hybrid remote concurrent learning um, thing for, for our community next year. It, it was, 
in a, in a crisis, it worked and everybody worked their backsides off. But I don't think, um, I'll just, I'll talk about myself. I don't think I could sustain another year of that. Right. I will look, I know a lot of your brethren out and yeah. sisters in, in your industry are, have left at what seems to me kind of a record oh, yeah. level of, of, of retirements. Yep. It's been brutal. It really has been brutal. And the, you know, the, although California, you know, it seemed that California was being pretty um, aggressive and consistent with their approach to things. It really wasn't that way because every County um, had their own guidance when this whole thing started. And so the state would, you know, give recommendations, say everybody go home, but not tell everybody what that looks like or, or what has to happen in order for you to come back. And so it took us a long time really to advocate to get the state and the counties to become aligned in the way that they're approaching this. Because, you know, we've got, there's a lot of counties up here in the Bay Area. And so our teachers live in one county and, and teach in this county, many of them. Their, their kids go to school in a different county, but they work in this one. And so there was so much confusion that that, that drove because of different guidelines in those two different counties. And so we really worked with our legislators and, and with the governor's office to, to push them to have a united approach. And, and they, they finally got into that place um, just in time for us to shut you know, school down for summer. Uh, unless you've been to California, you don't realize that like a county can be a two hour drive. <laughs> I mean, it is well, such it, an it, enormous state. In some areas of the yeah. state, right? But in in the Bay Area, if there's no traffic, you could go through six counties in 45 minutes. Give us, David Hagland, some, uh, some, some, uh, we always like to talk about popular culture and food. Uh -oh. And in your case, I'll even add college football. So I got three things for you to, to finalize our call. Um, and thank you for joining us. So USC football, I have a vibe that it's getting better. And they're recruiting better. Are you are you following that? Yeah, I would agree that that's true. Um, it's <laughs> been a rough it's been a rough, rough patch since the Pete Carroll times. But it has. But I think they're getting there. I think you're getting yeah. there. And then um, tell our folks. I, one of the things I love to do in in any when I as you know I travel to a lot of districts around the country. Uh, give me a place to eat in Pleasanton. So I'm going to tell you about sidetrack. Sidetrack okay. is a it's a newer restaurant. It's been around for a couple of years. Um, it's owned by Todd Utical. Um, it's nice little good lunch spot, good dinner spot, um, good food, creative menu. Um, but more important than any of that, th that man is a huge supporter of the students in this district. Oh, that's great. Um, so he's co he commonly shuts his restaurant down or cordons off portions of the restaurant for fundraisers to take place. Um, and, you know, just having someone in the community that cares as much about kids as you do, um, he's a good partner. That's funny. You know, um, it's, you, you'd mentioned earlier that with the students that were gone for a while, you had the opportunity to do renovations. I have a restaurant in Annapolis that just took, did the same thing. They said, okay, we've got some period of time. Let's go ahead and do some things we've been wanting to do, but we could never do it. Uh, he also, uh, in, in our town, of Annapolis, uh, Harry Browns, he, he helps out with some local schools and actually feeds kids, uh, which I know that feeding some kids 
during this time period and their families has been a huge role of the schools, uh, an amazing contribution that schools have provided, uh, you know, through the summer of this yeah. pandemic and, and through the year. Yeah. And I think, you know, Todd, just for an opportunity to give some shout outs to some of our staff that don't often get recognized, the, the child uh, nutrition services workers and our custodians, they never shut down. So they kept serving meals even during that week when we were fully closed. They were at schools delivering meals in a safe way, obviously, um, and they've not stopped since then. So our classified staff members really have been the rock stars in this past year through the pandemic. Our teachers have been wonderful and our parents have been awesome. But I, we could not have done this without our classified staff. You know, it's weird. In, in a weird way, I think that in the last year, schools have gotten back to what they were originally uh, conceived to do, which was to not just educate students, but to be an incredible community resource on like so many levels. I don't think schools get enough credit for that over the years. And I think it's really been highlighted in the last, in the last year. Oh, I would agree with you on that. All right. Final question. Favorite education movie. Favorite education movie. Um, that's really weird question. And I know you told me ahead of time you're going to ask it. Me, so I should have a good, good answer. But um, I'm going to say something that's really not a great education movie, but it's something that everybody should watch. But I, if you've seen the, the show Bad Education, um, that movie that movie is important for people to see. So I don't know that it's a feel good education movie. And sure. Exact opposite of that probably. Um, but it really, it really talks about the potential for um, misuse and fraud in the educational system. Um, and, you know, it opened my eyes to some stuff. So I, that's uh, a great one. I, I, you know, I got to tell you, I, I appreciate that because I think a lot of parents are are reevaluating education in the last year like I've never seen before. And so you can't know what's good until you see what's bad. So I, I do appreciate that. Where do, where do I find that? Is that a Netflix? Um, yeah, I, I believe it was on Netflix. David Haglin is the superintendent of Pleasanton Unified School District out in California, uh, doing some great things out there. I really appreciate your time, David. Tell our listeners how they might be able to get a hold of you, whether it be through uh, your regular email or your, your Twitter account. Sure. I can be reached via email at dhagland, H-A-G-L-U-N-D, at pleasantonusd.net um, or at P-O-S-D-Soup. Uh, on Twitter or at HagDogUSC on Twitter. Both accounts work. Well, enjoy uh, the rest of your, your school year, David, and we uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, good talking to you, Todd. You bet. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off. <laughs>